0: We turn this evening to the Word of God as it's found tonight in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, again for those of you who are visiting, uh, we are also on a series of messages from Hebrews. We finished uh, the trees of the Bible this morning. Uh, Let me encourage you if you missed that to make sure to listen to the final one in the series. But we're also making our way through the book of Hebrews, and uh, we've had a couple of messages already on the first part of Hebrews, uh, verses 1 and 2, so we're going to be centering um, primarily on verses 3 through, what was that, 11 uh, tonight. But before we read that, when I use the phrase, never forget. You don't have to raise your hands and speak. What do you think of? The phrase, never forget. If we perhaps were Jewish, we would have one significant thing we would think of. And that's the Holocaust. It is a phrase used in Jewish circles. Maybe you've heard it uh, in other places as well uh, to refer to that. Holocaust, Uh, the killing of those 6 million-plus Jewish people or sympathizers as well um, back in the 1930s and 1940s. The idea was never forget, never forget the sacrifice of those folks. Today, it's used for another event that, surprisingly, as I look over this congregation, Many of you were not even alive for. So I want you to think back, right, 21 years ago. Now just think of the portion of our congregation that's here tonight who is not yet 21. They did not live through this never forget, right? That's September 11. That is where that phrase also is now used. Never forget. Never forget the heroes. Never forget the sacrifice. Never forget those first responders. Never forget the firemen. Never forget those who truly brought down an airplane to spare the lives of many others. Never forget. But the Bible calls us often times as well to never forget. And in our passage tonight, we are given one of those never forget moments. Those exact words are not used, but they certainly well speak of this particular portion of Scripture. There is something that in this passage, God wants you and I to never forget. Because when we forget, we lose our passion. When we forget, we lose our commitment. When we forget, we lose our enthusiasm. So let us never forget that which God places before us this evening. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning to read at verse 1. Therefore... My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Be not weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let us bow in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this portion of your word that was read and heard read, and Lord, we thank you for our great high priest that has authored and perfected our faith. Pray that you would be with Pastor Bob tonight and give him your words to speak, that we would hear that and apply it to our lives and go forth from here with that good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. So God's never forget to us tonight is never forget Jesus. Never forget Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Never forget. Now, the author of Hebrews doesn't use that phrase, as I said a few minutes ago, never forget. He uses the term consider. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Consider. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to consider something? Well, we would find the following meanings in a, in a Greek lexicon if we looked up the Greek word and then we looked up all the, the word meanings behind it as far as what that Greek word that we translate here is consider, what it means. And so you kind of have to take all of them. You kind of have to put it all together and out of this, all of these meanings, we get the English word consider. To consider means to think on, to have one's mind dwell upon it. Not to let it be a fleeting thought, not to let it be something that comes and goes, Okay, not to let it be, as we sometimes say, in one ear and out the other. Let it dwell. Let it rest there. It carries with it the meaning of to reason up, to not just to think but there is a, a pondering, there is a reasoning, there is, there is taking something and thinking about it on a deeper, higher level. There is the idea to ponder, to just reflect upon something. There is the idea of to weigh the value, the importance, how much Is this worth? How much value am I to put into something? But the one that kind of caught my attention of all of them, and and probably because I I know many of you are are self-employed, many of you are involved in trades, and I thought, maybe this one kind of of gets your, your mind thinking a little bit more about this idea of consider. It means to estimate. And I thought, you know, what the author of Hebrews is kind of saying is this. I, yesterday, some of our folks, who not of our congregation, but some folks in our greater Grand Rapids area suffered some storm damage because of some winds. Suppose you are in a trade where you do repair work. And so you go to one of those homes, they call you, they find you in, on the internet or on the web, whatever, and, and they call you and you say, yep, I'll come down and I'll give you an estimate. And so you go there and you climb up on your ladder, you look at what the damage is, you perhaps crawl into the attic because you want to make sure that that there isn't damage beyond what you think, that it's not just the roof. Maybe a lot of rain got in. Maybe the drywall is going to need to be replaced. Maybe the insulation all got wet. Maybe this is a much bigger job than just slapping down some more shingles or putting on a, a new piece of plywood. And, and so you... Estimate, But as you estimate, you're digging in, you're looking, you're searching. And, and then at the end of the time, you, you present to the homeowner a copy, perhaps, of, of a statement. This is what my estimate is. So much for this, so much for that, so much for this, so much for that. And maybe you're a little more cautious and think, you know, I'm going to go home and I'm going to think about this and I'll, I'll email them the estimate tomorrow because, because I want to think about this. i got to look up some prices. I want to make sure I have the right value attached to all of these things. And then maybe you're laying there at night and you're thinking about what you saw and you realize, oh, I didn't include on that sheet new insulation. I've I got to redo that and put that in. See, to estimate means that you're dwelling upon it deeply and you're thinking it through and you're thinking about all the work and all the implications of what this work before you is. Right? Those of you who put in bids, okay, there is always a sense when you bid on a Piece of construction. There, there is always this little haunting thing of, did I forget something? Did, am I going to lose my shirt on this job? Because I forgot to factor in something that's written in the blueprints, down in the corner, written in the specs, and <gasps> I didn't even see that. And, oh, man, that's going to cost $20,000, and I don't, this is not going to end well. To estimate. Consider, put that type of thought, put that type of effort, put that type of analysis into thinking, estimating Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And what is it particularly that we are to be Taking note of two things we are to take note, particularly as we never forget Jesus. Now we are to take note of his endurance. It's interesting, I I really hadn't noticed this before until I started preparing this lesson how often or this message, how often in these verses of chapter 12. So far, that word endure has come up. This is what is on the author. This is what is on the Spirit's mind. I've given you all these 11 chapters. So that you will now endure. Remember the context of this book. Jewish believers, Jewish Christians who are being drawn back or tempted to be drawn back into Judaism, into the old practices, into the old works righteousness, full-blown sacrifices, the whole ball of wax. And the author has been saying, why would you do that when we have Christ? Why would you do that when we have the supremacy of Christ? Why would you go back into those old shadows, those old... Things When we have Christ before us, our incentive is not the temple. Our incentive is Christ. And he is to be supreme in the incentive that draws us forward. Not working out according to the law. Not the keeping of the law. Not the legalism. But we are to be considering the endurance of Christ. That Christ remained faithful under hostility. That Christ bore, he carried the load of hostility. That Christ Jesus persevered. He stuck it out. Even though, what is it he endured? He endured hostility. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. I can still remember Reverend Syburn Vortman, the basement of Walker Church, uh, using uh, a chalkboard with old white chalk, drawing our lesson in catechism about the humiliation of Christ. And all those steps of Christ's humiliation. Down until we have the being forsaken by God. And it begins at his birth. That we are to stop and to consider that Jesus Christ endured hostility throughout his entire earthly ministry. From birth All the way forward, the unbelief that he is met with. The fact that people aren't even expecting him to be born. The opposition. The very first part of his ministry, when he comes to Nazareth, they want to kill him. They want to throw him off the cliff. The dullness of the disciples. Did did you kind of catch that this morning when when we're in Matthew 16? You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Right? Just that dullness. They still, they still. There they are, resurrection morning. They still. There they are, resurrection night. They still don't get it. All the dullness. Jesus Christ endured the insults, the beatings, the scourging, the crucifixion. You're considering going back to Judaism? You're, going, you're considering going back into a works righteousness? You're considering going back into legalism? Ah, oh, Christian friend believer in Jesus Christ, consider Jesus who endured the hostility of sinful men. Consider what he did. See, never forget the cross. Never forget. Never forget what he endured. Never forget the suffering, the rejection. It isn't a good Friday thing. It's an everyday thing. Consider, estimate in your own life what Jesus did, what Jesus endured, the hostility that Jesus encountered to save your soul. consider Jesus. For the goal of considering Jesus? No. That's not the goal. The goal, pick it up with me in verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that, here comes the reason, why am I to do this constant considering, this constant estimating of what it is that Christ has done? of his endurance, of dealing with all of that hostility, so that, what? So that I do not grow weary. Now this second point of the message, okay, I I struggled with, what's the word to put in here, right? So we are to consider Jesus, but it's sort of like, okay, how how do you put everything that Paul is now going to, excuse me, the author is now going to say Into a word. And and the only thing I could come back to was Paul. In Philippians chapter 3. Forgetting what lies behind. I press on. Towards the upward call. And I think that's what the author of Hebrews is after here. Consider Jesus. So that you press on. By not becoming weary of following Jesus Christ. And we'd ask ourselves, is that possible? Is it possible that somebody would become weary of following Jesus? Now the word that's used here, the word weary, is used of physically. They're physically tired of following Jesus. Jesus. They're worn out from following Jesus. They're in pain physically from following Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is saying, really? Maybe you need to pause and to consider Jesus and what Jesus endured and the hostility that Jesus dealt with so that you press on. That you don't become weary. You don't grow tired. And you know, I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's been some of that in our lives from time to time. Maybe you're going through one of those periods now. I'm just tired of doing what Jesus wants me to do. I'm just tired of serving Jesus. I'm just worn out from being a Christian. And the writer of Hebrews is coming to you in all gentleness, in all compassion, and saying, consider Jesus Consider his endurance and the hostility that he faced. Oh, how he loves you and me. Press on. Don't become weary or faint hearted. Faint hearted. That's more the emotional side of it, that's more the mind, that's more the will. That's more the heart of the issue. It's not so much the physical drain, it's the emotional. It is so hard living as a Christian in this world. I've heard believers make this statement before, particularly in this past year. It is so hard living as a Christian. In this world. The author of Hebrews would call that being faint hearted. A weariness of the emotion. Consider Jesus. See when we're tempted in that way. When when we're tempted to, to, to look at life through those kinds of lenses, when we're tempted like these Jewish believers were to say, you know, I don't know about this Jesus thing. Maybe the old way was better. Maybe my old life of sin was better. Maybe it was better when I wasn't a Christian and I didn't have to worry and think about living as a Christian in this world. He comes to you and I, And he says, consider Jesus. Consider what Jesus endured. Consider the hostility. Consider not only the physical, but the emotional endurance of Jesus. And consider that. Weigh that. Estimate that. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. But then he delves into another issue as well. And what he's delving into is, again, the do not forget. The do not forget. What is it that he's telling us in in verses 4 now through 11? What is he telling us that that we are not to forget? One, we are not to forget, according to verse 4, that our struggle... In this world he is so limited. He doesn't say that we don't struggle. He doesn't say that there isn't a struggle. He just says it is so limited. Listen to the author. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Consider Jesus. Really? See, at the time of Paul's writing, or excuse me, of the author's writing this particular, there hasn't been a widespread persecution of Christians by the Romans yet at this particular time. Oh, it's coming. But that's not necessarily what he's referencing. I think what he's referencing is this. You will never have to endure the suffering of Christ. Whatever suffering it is, whatever hardships, whatever hostility you and I will face in this world. Right? Plug in this morning. Deny yourself, pick up your cross. Specifically, suffering. For the cause of Christ. Whatever it is that you and I will be called to suffer for the cause of Christ. Will never, never approach the suffering of Jesus Christ. Do you know why? What's the reason why? Because the suffering of Christ included one thing. That we, we will never face. The suffering of Christ included the rejection of the Father. We will never face that. As believers in Jesus Christ, there will never be a day in which we can say God has rejected me. God has forsaken me. It will not happen. It happened once in history and it happened to Jesus Christ and it will not happen to any one of us as believers. Our struggle is limited. We'll never endure all that Christ did. We'll never endure hell. That's why I, you know, I don't mean to be glib about this, but but it always causes a smile to cross my face whenever I hear somebody compare something they are dealing with in life to hell. They took a test. Well, that was pure hell. Like, I don't think so. You don't have the foggiest notion what hell really is. There is nothing, there is nothing in this world that can compare to hell. And Christ suffered that for you and I so that we never will. You say, well, but what about this stuff that happens? The author goes on to point out to us the following. Our struggle is limited, but God's discipline is full. Our struggle, our enduring of hostility for the cause of Christ is limited, but God's discipline is full. Say, what do you mean by that? What do, you, what do you mean? It's full. It's full of love. That's why he quotes this passage from Proverbs My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises everyone whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. See, God's discipline of you and I, God's discipling of you and I, God's conforming of you and I to the glorious image of His Son, Jesus Christ, is full not of judgment, is full not of condemnation. That all is upon Christ. But it is full of love. He disciplines Those he loved. Do you feel God sometimes poking at you? It's not God being mean. That's not God being hostile. That's God's discipline. And it's his love. God discipline of you and I. My guess is, and, and we don't know the exact context here, but I'm guessing some of these believers in Christ who are tempted to go back are beginning to face some opposition. They're beginning to face some forms of persecution. They're beginning to face some hostility. And the author is saying, number one, understand. Yes, You're dealing with some hostility. But it's not like Christ. Number two, understand that that is the love of God. That is God's love. Think of how he goes on to explain that in this passage. What father doesn't discipline his son? Now, does any discipline seem pleasant to the person who receives the discipline? No, never seems pleasant. But in the end, do we see the benefit and blessing? Yes, we do. And he's applying that to us in our Christian lives. God's discipline is not full of anger. It's not full of wrath. It's not full of rage. God isn't out of control. God's eyes aren't bloodshot red. And the veins of his neck aren't sticking out as he disciplines us. No, his hands are full of love. There's nail prints in them to remind us of the fact that God is disciplining us in his love. And he disciplines us as sons. Oh, here we go, okay? We took this text and brought it to a lot of folks tonight. They'd go, yep, there it is again. God is this this man guy and all he wants is men and all he cares about is men. See, he doesn't even give us the fact that it's sons and daughters. It's not even children. Oh, folks, sometimes we are so limited. Why does God say, why does the word of God say he disciplines us as sons? Because when Hebrews 12 was written, the only legitimate people who could inherit anything from the Father was a son. This is not a demeaning of women. This is lifting them up. He is saying we are all sons of God Meaning what? Sexual beings? Men of God? Sons of God? No, that's not what he means. He means we are all inheritors of the kingdom, of the glory of Jesus Christ. And just because you're a woman doesn't mean you don't get to inherit that. We all, as believers in Christ, inherited. And you could say, well, why can't we just change the word? Because that would drop the meaning. That would drop the guts right out of the statement. It is the fact that it is sons that brings it to mind. But there is another part of this. It was within a Jewish family the responsibility of a father to teach his sons. Now, in a glorious display of providence, Pastor Tim, this morning in adult Sunday school, showed us a picture of the wailing wall in Jerusalem. And he showed us that picture, and we, you know, there were other things. But one of the things he said was this. You come at particular times throughout the week, and the suns will be lined up against the wall. And their father will be standing in front of them, teaching them the scriptures. We are sons of God, all of us, because God wants to convey that I am teaching all of you. I'm teaching you women, I'm teaching you children, I'm teaching you men. I am your father. And I'm not only going to teach you, I am going to discipline you. I'm going to discipline you because I love you. So if you're suffering some side effects and hostilities because of holding to Christ, because you're holding to Christ alone, and you're not wavering back into Jewish legalism, discipline of the Lord to hold you so that we learn to endure, so that we learn to press on, so that we learn to never forget. But there is another aspect of this, and that was the understanding that sons bore the resemblance of their father. He is the exact representation of the Father. Remember that verse? Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Think of what God has just told you and I tonight. He disciplines us. He teaches us. Why? Because we are the representation of God. We are what? His image bearers. Because we've been recreated. We've been born again into his family. Ah, those clouds you so much dread are filled with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. And God's people say, Amen. Let's turn in our hymn books to number 200.